Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of One Click Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hello, everyone. Welcome to B2B Made Simple. My special guest with me today, I have Stephanie Gomez. She's the VP of Marketing at Procedure Flow. Uh, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, this is exciting. Um, if you've listened to the show, then you might know what's coming. But if you haven't, this will be a little bit of a surprise. But uh, to kick things off, are you team Apple or you team Android? Apple all the way. <laughs> there we go. Easy, easy, <laughs> quick answer for you. I like it. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the importance of community and relationship in B2B marketing. I think it's something personally, I think it's something that's really lacking. And uh, as much as people talk about it, I don't think there's a lot of action when it comes to it. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that today. I'm really excited to dive mm-hmm. in. Um, so to kick it off, B2B needs to be that human approach. I'm curious to hear why you think that is uh, the case. Yeah, you know what? I think it really starts with the fact that we've made B2B so literal that it's about a business to a business. And so, but it doesn't have to be boring. We have to switch that mindset. Um, I heard a few years ago from someone called um, Joshua B. Lee that B2B is really about H to H, it's human to human. And that really resonated with me because at the end of the day, your buyer is another human being. They are not the brand, right? And so when you're trying to talk to your buyer as a marketer, you have to understand what are their motivations? What are their aspirations? What keeps them up at night? And when you start to understand that and you're looking beyond the brand of the company that they represent, it informs your writing. Your writing becomes more conversational. It it starts to have more personality, which I think is one thing that's lacking Mm -hmm. right now in a lot of B2B organizations. And it really is about pulling the emotions of your buyer. And when you do that, your creative also changes. And so you start to look at the imagery that you're going to use and how is that going to pull at those emotions that you're trying to convey uh, to your buyer. And so I also think there's another thing that seems to be a growing trend, which is personal branding. Right. We've really understood that the modern buyer is about doing business with a human. And so that's the reason why you now see a lot of us trying to build our own personal brand or CEOs are out there and talking about the things that their customers care about. Because when you have somebody, when you can put a face behind a brand, that's how you build trust. And that's how you start to build the authenticity and you're humanizing your brand. And so when your buyer is ready to buy, they're going to think about you because they're going to think about, well, Sam delivers me content and value. And I know that he understands what keeps me up at night. And so now that I have to think about, you know, X, Y, Z, I'm going to call Sam first because that's, that's the guy who's going to help me. A couple of things that I would love to unpack. Um, that you just framed up so nicely. The first one is that brands need a personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard it said that way. I've always thought like, you know, these companies are, are very faceless 
and uh, B2B is very transactional. And at the end of the day, like you mentioned, people want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. And having a personality as a brand is a phenomenal way to do that. Do you have some examples of maybe what you would consider a personality for a brand? Yeah, for sure. I think one thing that I'm starting to see quite a bit is just even using memes Mm -hmm. in your social media, right? A lot of B2B brands are try so hard not to do that because they think, oh, maybe it's too funny, it's too humorous, or it's going to offend somebody. But at the end of the day, if you understand the pain points of your customer, and you understand what they're what they're going to resonate with, the meme is just a medium to um, to get your point across and have them better understand that you connect with them and that you that you get them. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the, the meme is just one example, but, you know, it starts, it, it can infuse into a lot of other things like the copy that you put on your website, how you start your subject line on an email, you know, it doesn't have to be always like, Stephanie, here's your sample, maybe it could be like, hey, Stephanie, let's start our journey together. And so those, those little changes make so much of a difference, because it starts to think about the other person on the other side as more than we need to win this account kind Mm -hmm. of thing. You know, what's interesting is I think the personality is directly reflected uh, or reflective of the internal culture of the company. So for example, if you have this this culture that is a lot of fun, uh, that's exciting to be around, then it's going to be natural for you to post some funny memes about the industry, right? But for some brands, that's not really what you're kind of known for within your organization. Maybe instead your culture is just very caring and uplifting. And that's probably how the personality is going to bubble over into your content. And I don't know, you can get creative with that sort of thing, but personality doesn't always have to mean funny. It can be in so many different things, right? Absolutely. Exactly. But it it stems from understanding who your buyer is, right? And what's the emotion that you're trying to convey with them. So if your brand is about caring and has a higher purpose around, you know, climate change or big things like that, then the emotion that you're trying to convey with your buyer is you want them to join this mission with you. Um, And so I think it definitely goes back to understand your, your buyer, understand your market, and then design the copy and the personality based on that. Mm-hmm. You brought up another point I want to dive into. Um, everyone is starting to get on the, the bandwagon of personal brands within a company and empowering your employees or empowering even certain people within your organization to start talking online about something they're passionate about, or, or maybe even something their buyer is passionate about and just sharing their learnings. And a lot of people know that's important, but I never actually tied it back to, you know, building personal brands adds to the personality and really puts a face to your company. I never connected the dots on that, which is really interesting. Yeah. And I think that's, it's so important because at the end of the day, marketing is always behind the sales team, right? In in B2B, we've always been perceived and positioned that way. And so, but we got to change that. I think as marketers, we also have to go out there and build personality and build a brand behind who we are, because at the end of the day, other marketers are going to resonate with that. And, And so the more that you have employees within your organization, having those face those conversations out there and talking about it, it just adds more to, you know, that authority and that trust that you're trying to build in the market. 
Mm-hmm. Every time a buyer turns a corner, <laughs> maybe they'll be seeing someone that works at your company and be reminded one more time over and over again that, wow, this company, one, is delivering value in multiple different uh, ways. And two, wow, this is, a, this is a face. This is someone I want to do business with. It's not necessarily remembering the logo and the name of the company. It's remembering the person that delivered the value or built the relationship with you. Yeah. And it's as, as they say, right, you're going to remember how the person made you feel, mm-hmm. not what they said and all that type of stuff. And so it, it, it's applicable to personal brand and, and building your, you know, we're more than just a logo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, why do you think it's important to build relationships with your, and also a community with your buyers? Because we talked about creating the content, which is great and being helpful, but what does it look like to you when it comes to really interacting on a personal level? Mm-hmm. I think the B2B space is so crowded right now, especially in the SaaS world. There's all these technologies out there that can probably do something similar than what your company does at different price points. And so building community is almost a way of also differentiating yourself amongst that noise um, and building your own tribe, right? And so one, one thing that I always think about is as a community, we want to connect with like-minded individuals. We want to connect with people that have our similar interests. You know, you and I are connecting because we like B2B marketing. And so that being able to create that environment for your customers, I think is important, especially with the pandemic right now and with remote work being sort of the, the future of how we're going to be working. It's we're so isolated. And so if you're able to create a community and create an environment where your customers feel like they can belong somewhere, you're creating a space where they can get constant value from you. At the end of the day, you're helping them be the best that they can be at their job so that they can be successful. And so, you know, as a brand, for sure, it helps impact Um, because those folks are going to talk about you and they're going to recommend you to other people. But at the end of the day, you've created this community and it's about continuing to provide value every step of the way. Why do you think that chasing a demographic is not the same thing as relationship building? Can you give some clarity there? Mm -hmm. I think many of us learned in school that, you know, when you build a persona, you have to think about, the age, the sex, and where do they live and what level of education they completed. And at the end of the day, you come back with a resume of what this person is going to look like and what your potential buyer is going to be. But that doesn't really get to the essence of who they are. The resume is what they do, but it's not that individual person. What are their motivations? What are their aspirations? And so that's one of the things that when you start to look at marketing or as B2B as more of an H2H type of environment, then you start to look beyond that and you start to look at, well, what was their journey along the way before they went and made that purchasing decision? And what were they thinking about? What was happening in their world around them that made them want to get there? whether they have a university degree or not, it's not really going to change anything, whether they live in a city or they live in suburbia, it's not going to change the motivations and the reason why they bought your product. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of all the cold uh, DMs that I'll get on LinkedIn. Um, Hey, I saw that you are in X field, or I saw that you are interested in 
dot, dot, dot. Right. And it's just very impersonal. And it's, it's like, that's the research and the demographics that they did on me. Cause I fit their persona or whatever it is. It's just so dry. And I think yeah. that buyers are just one kind of uh, used to it and two really scared off by it. And they can see it coming a mile away and uh, going deeper is really how, you know, these relationships are built instead of just checking off a box. And you're a lot less likely to respond to that type of an email, right? Because we're, we're flooded with messages everywhere we turn, right? Every company is trying to get your attention. And so if, if every email starts in the same way, then nothing stands out and then you just don't respond to anything. But if you understand your buyer, you understand what keeps them up at night and you start the email in a completely different way then that starts to generate interest. Mm-hmm. One thing that, you know, many marketers are are on board with is that the B2C world is way ahead in this area than the B2B world. Um, is there anything in particular that you've seen the B2C world do or that you've learned from them that you're like, either this is going to be how B2B does things in the future, or maybe you've applied it and actually it's worked now? Yeah, I think... I think there's a couple of things that we can learn from B2C. Obviously, they don't have a sales team. And so marketing is a lot more accountable for that revenue and for that buyer journey. And so one of the things that I've started to notice is that the modern B2B buyer is actually a lot more like the B2C buyer. We have so much access to information nowadays and content marketing is now the foundation of any marketing plan. And so we're reading a lot more blogs, we're asking more questions to our peers and trying to understand, is this product really going to solve my problem? We're asking if peers have already used the product. So we're doing a lot more research on our own. And so as a B2B marketer, that that becomes now your strategy. It's about educating the market so that you can get that buyer a little bit further down that discovery and, and get them to that intent of wanting to purchase something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means rethinking about that journey, making a more frictionless experience as opposed to having to click five, four times before I actually get to a calendar to book a demo, how much you know, how much earlier into that journey can we surf that up? Or how easier can we make it for this buyer to buy our product? Um, I think that's another thing that's probably growing a little bit more is the self-serve model. So many SaaS organizations now are removing the sales step. And so now you can just go and, and buy a software without ever having to talk to a sales team. Mm -hmm. And so that we're starting to see B2B and B2C um, actually get a lot more similar and the Mm -hmm. lines are getting blurred. I've noticed the same thing. And this will get some people chirping, I'm sure online in some fashion, but pricing belongs on your website. And there's really no excuse uh, to not having at least some form, right? And that can be... um, a number of different ways. One, you can just be transparent and put the exact price if you do have an exact pricing model. Um, yeah. The second would be you can uh, feature a range of pricing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we, you know, this uh, we it's one k to five k a month depending on your project. And then the other option is that you can um, just simply put a starting price. I mean, at yeah. least let people qualify themselves if they've done all the research yeah. up to this point and you've delivered all this value and really kind of hooked someone way yeah. before they're ready to buy, why would you ruin it 
by hiding your pricing and being like, well, we don't want our competitors to see it, or we don't want them to disqualify themselves. We want to show them the value on our demo call. Like just get over it and put the pricing. That's what I want as a consumer. And I know I'm not alone. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And I think your point around, you want them to qualify themselves, right? So I think, again, it goes back to having that mind shift that as marketers, we just need to prep the person to be much more likely to say, yes, I want to buy. And like any other large purchase, if we're talking about a product that's five to $20, it's not a big deal, but we're talking about really high ACVs. And Mm -hmm. so we don't want to waste our sales team's time having all these conversations and demos and all this back and forth so that ultimately at the end they realize, oh, well, that's way out of my budget range, right? So putting that a little bit earlier, again, goes back to reducing that friction between the buyer and the team. Mm -hmm. Would you say that the ultimate goal of marketing is not necessarily to help sales, but to get the buyer as close to the purchase and basically them raising their hand and saying, I would like to explore this or buy, would you say that's the goal of marketing? Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, marketing is about influencing that decision, right? And so you do that by making sure that you got that person all the information that they need. So by the time they talk to the sales rep, it's no longer a no brainer. And it's just a matter of saying, yes, I want to buy. How do we make that happen? And that's exactly what you've been seeing primarily in the B2C world, right? That's right. In B2C, you see a lot of that because the marketer is so focused on that conversion point, right? Mm -hmm. And making the sale. Whereas marketing has always been, oh, well, let's just get the lead. And it doesn't matter how we get it. Let's just throw in a white paper or let's throw in a bunch of random things. And that doesn't really help. At the end of the day, you're just crowding the pipeline for the sales rep for a lot of opportunities that are not even going to convert or that are going to be a waste of their time. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we should consider is making a point to talk to our sales team. Can you walk Mm -hmm. through like why that's really important? Yeah, I think um, in B2B marketing uh, or in the B2B environment, marketing and sales, they need to be best friends. (laughs) You need to cultivate those relationships really early with your sales team because we're both looking for the same thing. We all want to make our numbers and that's our overall objective. And so speaking with your sales team, understanding their priorities, understanding what they're hearing in the market, what are some of the objections and challenges that they're having that can give you a lot of insights that sometimes you might not get through just like clicks on the on an ad or the website journey. And so having those conversations and implementing feedback loops so that your sales team are always coming back to you, that's when you can see that sales and marketing are going to be successful. I mean, that's the reason why nowadays many B2B organizations are leveraging account-based marketing because it's aligning sales and marketing and it's forcing us to work together where sometimes we've always sort of run independently. And I think that's when you start to lose focus of what you're trying to accomplish as a team. Mm -hmm. Let's say that uh, a marketer is very new to a company. Let's say they're a marketing executive. Um, In your experience, what do you think is more important? Well, not more important. What do you think you should do first? Should you talk to your sales team first and get the feedback that you were just saying? Or should you talk to the customer first? 
That's a good question. And uh, there is no right or wrong answer. But personally, I would prefer to have the conversation with sales because, again, it's about setting the tone that you're coming in and you want to build a partnership with them. And if you want to build credibility with your sales team, you need to start early by understanding what are they dealing with and how can you help, right? Because again, if we go back to the definition of marketing, which is to influence that purchasing decision and get them to the point so that when they have a conversation with sales, they're a lot more likely to buy, then you have to understand what is sales going through right now? What are the obstacles that they're hearing and how can you get them the leads to get to that, to that level of understanding so that it's an easier sell. Mm-hmm. So we're, so, we're trying something new on the podcast. I think, believe you're going to be the second person that we've done this with, but we're going to run through some like questions here at the end, just to kind of get your thoughts. And they're not really related to, you know, the topic that we've been talking about. But uh, the first question I have for you is here at one click, we're always looking for ways for our buyers and our customers to improve their website, right? So if you're listening to this, we want to give them something tangible that they can take away. Um, So in regards to you guys' website uh, strategy, is there something that you've recently tried that worked or didn't work? And what was the outcome? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're still actually running our experiment right now. But one thing, one of the biggest things that I found was exactly what we were talking about in terms of that frictionless experience. And it was taking about five clicks before I could get to a calendar when I would click on request a demo. And so again, when you look at it from that perspective buyer, it took them way too long. And so now I've probably missed out on the opportunity. How many people just gave up after the third click? And so what we've done now is we've changed it and we've reduced it to two clicks um, before you can get to that. Actually, probably three now that I think of the the third one. I mean, even three. As a consumer, I understand like one click is is, would be phenomenal, right? But at the end of the day, I also know that like some things are just really tough to attain and I have a little bit of patience for that sort of stuff. Um, if I'm there with the intent, but, uh, just knowing that you focused on, Hey, we want to make this buyer sent a buyer centric experience mm-hmm. and shave down as many clicks as possible. And you said down to two or three, which is impressive. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And when you think about, again, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting them closer and closer to having those conversations. Somebody that's already visited your website and is already going through the process of requesting a demo, they have a really high likelihood that they've already made a decision. And that's why they're taking the step to want to learn more and have that conversation. So reduce that time as much as possible. So I think there's going to be some good results there. Um, But we just launched it last week. So we're still testing. Good for you guys. I mean, even without seeing the data, I can already tell you that I'm sure you're going to get some uh, good results, even if it means uh, seeing that bounce rate go down a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, Next question here, I'm going to fire off. If, uh, if you, is there something as the VP of marketing, right? And I know you had mentioned this is your first podcast, but in general, is there a question that you're just itching or wishing someone would ask you as a marketing executive? You know why? I think it would be, how do you balance having a high performing team and a happy team? And I would say that because, um, as a VP of marketing, of course, you're going to be watching the metrics and, you know, you've got to deliver for your team. You want to make sure that 
your team is filling in those pipelines and getting getting achieving our goals. But at the end of the day, I think one thing that I keep thinking about is I remember when I was a marketing coordinator or when I was a marketing manager and it's not pleasant to always just have an executive kind of say, okay, where, where are your numbers? And the only interaction I had with this person was talking about performance. I think, you know, the whole topic today is about humanizing a brand, but also humanizing your executives. Um, I think that's really important on making sure that you don't forget about not just your direct reports, but the other folks on your team. Do they have the support that they need? Are you building in that feedback loop so that they can also come to you if they're having challenges and just being able to cultivate a good environment where your team is feeling like they're contributing and they're happy where they are. If you are constantly trying to humanize your marketing, it will never get done if you are a faceless company within, right? It's basically what you're saying. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> There's me trying to sum it up for you. So, uh, <laughs> so last question before we go here, uh, we can spend a few minutes on this if you'd like, but, um, do you have any questions for me? You said, this is your first podcast. Now I'm making you the podcast host for the first time. So if you have any questions for me, feel free to shoot them over here and I'll see what I can do. Yeah. Well, we've been talking a lot about humanizing brands. Um, and I think intuitively, we always think about our social media feed and the video content that we develop. But I feel like one aspect that is often overlooked is the website. How do you carry that human element into your website? So I know your agency is our experts in website development. So how, how, how do you achieve that for your clients? There's a, a couple of different um, examples that come to mind. The first one, and you touched on this quite a bit, is your messaging. Um, what personality do you convey through your messaging? And the best example that I've seen of this, and it's not the same for every company, but you'll get a really good um, idea of really the internal culture and the personality of this uh, company. They're called Sweetfish Media. Um, they do podcasting and the the hero um, section of their website, the header, I, it, I might butcher it, but the the gist of it is your marketing team is overworked and um, you're being, you want to ask them to start a podcast, uh, but they're going to punch you in the face. If you do that, we're here to help you not get punched in the face is basically like the essence of their header. And I thought it was so creative. And I, I know a bunch of people that work there and uh, that's just their culture is just to have fun. And just to be a really um, lively and exciting brand to work with. And their personality really comes out in the, in the messaging of their website. Um, so that's example number one. The second example, is, and we're not 100% there yet, but we're going to be going there here soon, is just get rid of stock images on your website. Um, like, like we've been saying, people want to work with a company that they can really put a visual um, thought to, I guess is what I'm trying to say is like, they want to see who works there. They want to see the faces of people that are in the organization. And if your website is just full of these pointless stock images, I think it really does hurt your brand more than it helps. And uh, we're like 50% there. I think if you go on our website, there's a few for sure. But I mean, in our about section, we have some images of the leadership, um, which is, I think is important, some headshots. But even more than that, I think companies have the resources to make uh, their website have a personality with just the images and they don't. 
and they go and get these stock images that everyone has used on their website before. And it really adds no value and no personality. They're just trying to cater it to the design and say, Hey, we need an image here. Here we go. Yeah. You know what? That's so interesting. I've had those conversations and it, it goes back to B2B has been so literal, right? And we always think about the image of that infamous handshake and <laughs> all those different things. And you go into Shutterstock and find the same thing. So I, I, I do like that because it, again, personality is so important and you have to be consistent, right? So every place that your customer is potentially going to go to search for information about you, you want to make sure that that personality is consistent across all those touch points. Very, very true. Well, Stephanie, um, to close us out here, I would love to hear where we can find out more about you. And uh, also, if you would give us the quick rundown or elevator pitch of what you guys do at Procedure Flow, I'm sure some people might be interested in that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I can be found on LinkedIn, uh, Stephanie Gomez and Procedure Flow. We also have an account on LinkedIn, so you can check us out there. Um, essentially, what we do is we are a knowledge management system and we take expert knowledge that your employees have and turn them into visual processes. Uh, so we make it so much easier for you to manage your organizational knowledge, having one source of truth. Uh, where your customers and, and employees can always access the latest information. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much for joining me here. Um, for those listening, I know I mentioned it before, but this was Stephanie's first podcast. So well done. And uh, thanks again for, for being here with me. This was, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. 